Hello, nerds, and welcome back to the Incomparables TV coverage of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, you asked for it. Well, maybe not you, but somebody asked for it. Uh, so here I am again. I'm Tony Sindelar. Uh, and in the Incomparable episode 296, uh, I convened a small panel to talk about 10 of my favorite uh, Batman the Animated Series episodes. And, of course, I uh, got a lot of opinions about what episodes I didn't fit on my 10 list and you know, when people have opinions, opinions become podcasts. Uh, so here we are. Um, we're going to talk about an episode that I didn't pick, but my guest picked. Uh, uh, my guest uh, today is uh, Jeremy Goldstein, uh, librarian and super comics nerd. Is that is that a fair title? I don't know. Yeah, if that's I, think, that's... I think that's fair. Yeah, I don't know if you have that on LinkedIn, but that seems like. Uh... Yeah, Jeremy and I go way back. Uh, I would say that Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Goldstein and Lisa Schmeiser are kind of like my two comics Yodas who, you know, frequently say like, this is the thing you should be reading. <laughs> and then I, I usually go and read the thing. Um, and that's, that's worked out pretty well for me, uh, like in, in life. Um, yeah, that's pretty high praise. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, I, I, you are a pretty big comic nerd. Uh, you have a lot of comics. You read a lot of comics. You have pretty uh, deep knowledge of comics. Uh, I have uh, memories of uh, Jeremy and I were roommates a, mil a million years ago, uh, and we would watch the uh, the Justice League animated series together, and he would be yep. like, oh, let me tell you about that guy. Uh, so it was like having director's commentary, uh, except it was, you know, my roommate and he's eating cereal. <laughs> and uh, it's only gotten worse since then. Yes. So, uh, Jeremy, uh, the episode that you picked that you thought we should uh, we should watch and, and chat about uh, is the episode uh, Showdown. Um, it's actually kind of a later uh, episode in, in Batman the Animated Series. Uh, uh, listeners, here's your spoiler-free uh, recap of it. Uh, Batman and Robin uh, cross paths with uh, Ra's al Ghul, who leaves them a tape with a story on it. That This is actually what happens. Uh, and the story tells uh, basically an Old West story. Uh, this is kind of one of your Batman episodes with not a lot of Batman in it. Uh, and I won't tell you any more than that. If that sounds, uh, you know, like something you'd be interested in, go check it out. We will, we're going to get right into it. So there will be spoilers for a, a cartoon that aired approximately 25 years ago. Follow from here on. <laughs> uh, so, Jeremy, uh, do you want to tell me a little bit about uh, why you chose Showdown as, as an episode to go to? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, when, when you first asked me to do this, I spent a lot of time thinking about the, the, there are easily a dozen episodes I could have gone with, um, besides almost Gotham, which I would have done if you hadn't picked it in one of as one of your initial ten already. And uh, this was just a slightly unusual episode of the show, so it, it stood out, and that Batman wasn't particularly in it. It was one of the only times you ever really get outside Gotham, I think. Um, it, most of it takes place during the day in the flashback scenes. And at its heart, it's got Jonah Hex. And that's um, jo Jonah Hex has always just been one of those characters that I gravitated towards. And I'm not entirely sure why that is necessarily, since he's someone that doesn't have much of a backstory or anything. I mean, like, I think his um, introduction in this episode shows a lot where everything you need to know about the character is presented wordlessly solely by the way he, like, walks into the town when he's introduced in this episode. You know, it's about how he carries himself and the clothes he's wearing and the way people react to him when he comes through the town, and that was kind of fascinating to watch. Um, but also, I, admittedly, I think I flashed back a little bit to when we used to sit around and watch Justice League in this episode. 
sort of struck me as where a lot of that kind of started because the um, Batman animated series didn't do guest stars very often, didn't introduce other, like, go outside into the rest of the DC universe terribly often. And this was kind of the first time we really got to see that on the show. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple episodes, and a lot of them are really great that are that do not have a lot of Batman in them. Yeah, uh, like there, I mean, there's somewhere he's almost not there at all, but they're very much not from Batman's perspective, uh, which is kind of fun and interesting. Um, but this, those are, I think, those do a lot of kind of fleshing out the world of Gotham, right? And oh, this absolutely. is like, no, we're gonna do another DC universe basically setting. We're gonna go to the old West. Uh, we're gonna introduce this character, Jonah Hex. Um, they don't do an origin story or any real explanation for Jonah Hex, which is kind of interesting because um, I, I feel like he's probably not uh, – he does not have the name recognition that uh, most uh, – he, he's pretty down there. I don't know if he's second or third or fourth tier uh, DC character. Um, you know, if, if you're not yeah. familiar with Jonah Hex, he's a Wild West bounty hunter. Uh, he's, he's an antihero. His uh, distinguishing feature is that he uh, has a horribly scarred face um, from his you know, tortured past. Um, I, I'm familiar with Jonah Hex from the old timey comics and mm-hmm. there's an unfortunate movie. Uh, he appears oh, yeah, later. The less said in, about uh, that, the better. Yeah. Uh, he does appear later in, uh, Justice League. There's a time travel episode, uh, where they, so it's not just that there's a story about Jonah Hex, the way this episode is, is framed, but, uh, but our friends from the Justice League, uh, end up back in time and, and meet up with Jonah Hex, a slightly different, at least a different visual design of him, um. But yeah, so he's he's your anti-hero. He's uh, you know, this version of him is a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm not super deep into Jonah Hex, but probably. I mean, I've read a lot of Jonah Hex comics, so I'm moderately deep. I, it seems like this is kind of a softer version of Jonah Hex. Um, I, I feel like I've read a lot of comics where Jonah Hex is is pretty rough around the edges, and like, I mean, he is nominally a hero, but he can be kind of like gruff and yeah. vulgar and crude right and this is oh the- yeah and he, i mean he held down the vertigo series for a while yeah. when they're like in the mid 90s when there was definitely that sense that you had to make it a little bit edgier so that you could advertise it as in the comic for adults yeah and this one this is definitely this is a jonah hex that is compatible with a saturday morning cartoon version right like he's 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 visually uh kind of uh horrifying but he's reasonably friendly to the kind of civilians he interacts with right and he seems to kind of have a sense of honor and a, and a code right oh yeah absolutely and i mean like if effectively for the flashback bits in this episode he may, may as well be batman again yeah I, I think that definitely works um now the flashback is in, i like this episode a lot um it is weird because it's it's almost not like an episode of batman the animated series and that we have like a very brief uh, intro where uh, the the Society of Shadows, I always want to call them the League of Assassins oh, because uh, they're the League of Assassins, but uh, the Society of Shadows is invading a retirement home. Uh, Batman and Robin show up and fight with ninjas, you know, uh, and Rachel Ghoul gets away with somebody and he leaves them like a mixtape on an armchair and they yep. like get in their car and they play the tape and that is like the, the, the whole Jonah Hex story, which is kind of weird as a framing device because... The story is not actually told from Rachel Ghoul appears in this flashback story. It is not told from his perspective at all. Um, 
So that doesn't really totally make any sense. Um, no, no, but but it makes as much sense as why they need to have you know armed ninjas invade a nursing home to check out one patient. Yes, why do you send a dozen ninjas with machine guns to get one guy? Um, but you yeah. know, I mean, with Batman and Robin around, I mean, it, it looked it did take a dozen ninjas. So um, oh yeah, no, and it was a great fight that they yeah. choreographed. Uh, so we get our, our Jonah Hex uh, is milling about in the old west. He's got a bounty for. Uh, uh, a villain uh, who's called uh, Arcady. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his. Yeah, name. I'm not sure they ever pronounce his first name in the show. They just refer to him as by his last name, Duval. Yeah, Duval. Um, and Jonah Hex makes friends with a, with a, a barmaid in town who uh, doesn't has had a bad history with him, and takes him out into the wilderness to a mountain with a flashing light, and that's where we actually we meet up with uh, or we see. Uh, it turns out Arcady Duval is there. He's got like this whole giant workshop. And he is working with slash four uh, old timey Rachel Ghoul. Um, yeah, with the monocle and top hat. Yeah, I, li- I like old timey Rachel Ghoul. Um, I think he pulls off that look. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. Going for this um, robber baron, even if he's fighting the railroads. Yeah. Um, and they're building, We they're, they have a nice little conversation for us that Jonah Hex, I guess, gets to overhear, or at least the listeners are presented, that it's one of those, like, as you know, we're building an airship, and this is really important. Um, But they're building an airship. Uh, So we have this neat kind of, like, uh, steampunk-esque story. And I I had to go and remind myself, like, when did this episode air relative to the movie Wild Wild West? Uh, And this this beats that by five years, uh, so that's pretty good for them. Um, yeah, though a lot of that too was I think that um, this episode, well, th- this episode had a lot of writers, but the actual script was Joe Lansdale, who wrote um, quite a few like steampunk influenced westerns back um, around the same time period. Is there a deep well of steampunk influenced westerns? Because I'm mainly only familiar with Wild Wild West, I guess, and, uh, and yeah, Deadlands, but, you know, the, the RPG, I guess. So. Yeah, but, but you know the original Wild Wild oh, West okay. goes back to like yes, the sixties or I, so, and that was a whole remake. So yeah, I did know that. Um, so uh, so we have a very Batman-esque story where, you know, Jonah Hex gets captured and then he gets out of jail and he sneaks on board the, uh, the airship. And uh, as the airship is attacking the town, uh, he causes all kinds of chaos by setting off basically multiple explosions that eventually, <laughs> eventually cripple uh, the airship. But there's some pretty good action sequences uh, in there. And I, I just love there's a scene where he like basically they, they've got like the... Uh, the black powder room with all the cannons and they're firing yeah. out of it and he like lobs a, a bomb like a, you know and like an old-timey bomb that's like the cannonball with the fuse like in there and there's a scene with just like all of these old-timey basically kind of sailors like pouring out of the rooms to get away from the explosion uh, <laughs> and i just thought that was like really well really well shown and really well animated and it was like you know it's also a little bit like you know we're gonna blow up an airship and not everyone's gonna die but we do have to show yeah. like dozens of people like fleeing for their lives um, well, well and beyond that too this kind of an almost like Looney Tunes aspect of some of the fighting in there, like I said, the old-timey bomb, but also they make a point of when the airship is attacking the town, blowing up an outhouse randomly for like two seconds on the screen. Yeah. Um, there's just like a, a whole bunch of these little visual gags they sneak in there. Yeah, they do have a cannon that at one point he does point vertic- directly vertically up, which felt that felt yeah. very Looney Tunes-esque too. Um, so in the end, uh, the bad guys are defeated. Uh, Jonah Hex gets his man, and then we flash forward to the present, Um where Batman and Robin basically pull up to the uh, the runway where uh, they're, the uh, Rachel Gould is transferring the person he took from the, the nursing home to his, his plane. I like that uh, they tracked Rachel Gould because he used his auto gyro 
uh, plane because the Society of Shadows, like this is a reoccurring thing in Batman, is that they have like novelty old timey planes, um, which kind of works with like when is Batman the anime series actually set? But I believe right. they, I believe they use impractical short range planes more than once as a plot point for the Society of Shadows. Um, I think oh, yeah. they, well, and they still have blimps all over the city. So. Yeah, <laughs> so. Um, and the, the the reveal is that the person abducted from the, the nursing home is uh, Arkady Duval, and that that is Rachel Gould's son, who is now an old man who is not basically, though his life has been extended by the uh, Lazarus Prince, he's now decrepit and frail right. uh, because he, he served a life sentence yeah. in jail thanks to Jonah Hex. Uh, and Batman and Robin uh, basically let uh, Rachel Gould walk away with that, uh, which I thought was a pretty good kind of reveal at the end. Um, I, I mean, I think there were definitely crumbs along the way that, you know, that wasn't like, oh my God, I never saw that coming. But, you know, right. I, I think that worked reasonably well. And it's, you know, it's a nice playing with like, the Society of Shadows has Lazarus pits and they can extend the lives of people for a long, long time to a certain extent. Uh, what are the implications of that? And one implication is if you have a child in the 1800s and they're a horrible, awful person, uh, they may still be around in present day. Um so. Yeah, and and I kind of like the sense too that you know the Lazarus Pit has its limits, and it's it's not necessarily stated, but I sort of read it as now that you know um, Duvall is you know a hundred years old and senile or whatever, you know it's not you you don't want to have immortality at that point in your life. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be super benefiting, uh, right? Benefiting from it. Um, so yeah. Uh, other things that you liked about the episode, uh, other than we, we get Jonah Hex, which is exciting because he's, he's yep. a DC character. We don't get to see a lot. Um, I mean, the performances are fantastic in this. Um, the Batman, the animated series always had some amazing casting, but, um, you know, one of the things that drew me to like all of the Rachel Ghoul episodes was always David Warner. I was a huge Time Bandits fan growing up. So, um, getting him in there back in the Demon's Quest and then again here is wonderful. And then having Malcolm McDowell cast as his son was kind of inspired. Um, and, and he comes back later on, too. I think his voice is Metallo later on in Superman, so he stays in the DC animated universe for a while. But I think this was the first time he had started working with them. Um, some of the like other callbacks, the fact that um, Duvall and Hex's um, sword-slash-knife fight on the blimp while it's exploding is kind of a direct callback to the... Um, Demon's Quest Batman race sword fight. Um, this is the, just a nice parallel narrative if you've been following along with the show, which doesn't often have a lot of continuity to it, but there are some just nice visual touches um, here and there in this episode. I like just how they introduced that, uh, the, the the sword fight. They set that up where, because uh, at that point, basically, I believe Hex has basically delivered uh, the killing blow to the airship. Uh, and, you know, it kind of looks like, well, everything's taken care of, and this giant turret rotates, and at first I think you kind of think that, like, the turret is going to fire on Hex, and it's actually the turret rotates so that a door, like, lines up with the deck, and Duval steps out on the deck, and he, you know, he gives his kind of little villain speech at him, uh, and they have this, this, this great fight of, you know, basically the fencing master versus the, uh, the, the cowboy with, you know, a bowie knife, um, um, and, and the Hex does a pretty, I mean, Hex has something to say back to every villain, whereas Batman would just kind of uh, let his fist do his talking for him. Um, Hex has to let every every uh, everybody he, uh, he he crosses swords with know that, like you know, I don't think much of you. Um, oh yeah, some of his dialogue in this episode is great. Um, I think I like um, no one calls me a liar and goes to bed happy. 
Um, just, just it's the, the the constant callbacks from him, but it's always you know it, it's never mean spirited either. In in here too, they told, like you said, it's that Saturday morning cartoon version of Jonah Hex, but they really manage to strike a very fine balance with it. Yeah, I, I think it works pretty well. It was it's a, it was a little weird to me having seen like the Vertigo comics and the old timey comics versions of Jonah Hex that wouldn't be Saturday morning uh, kind of compatible. Uh, so I think they they did a pretty good job at kind of you know softening the character without kind of uh, losing who he is. Uh, and like you know, there's some elements of Jonah Hex that like are not going to work as a as a modern character, right? I mean, that, that right. just don't update. I don't totally. Uh, remember the exact details of his origin, um, but I, I think it's something about where he gets like scarred with a mystical Native American tomahawk or something like that. Which yeah, like, that's, I, and I forget if his origin is one that gets changed like different times. Like you know, he remembers it differently, or if it just gets told differently. But yeah, like that's not going to work super well. Uh, he's also a former uh, Confederate soldier, correct? Yes, uh-huh. uh, correct, and, yeah. and that and that's a huge part of the character and the outfit. Yeah. Um, but but that's it too. Where uh, like you said, I like that was the original origin, and honestly, I'm not sure if they even bothered to go back to it because it's sort of unnecessary. I mean, just the the, the visual alone and the design job they did on him. You see this, you know, the scarred face, and um, he still carry um, always dresses in the Confederate soldier's uniform afterwards. That's usually enough to give you a sense of. And knowing that he's a bounty hunter is usually enough mm-hmm. to give you a sense of exactly who this guy is. Well, and in the Justice League episode, he is in a much more kind of like he's in the like Confederate gray uh, outfit. His you, his uh, wardrobe in, in this episode is a little bit more just kind of generic cowboy, right? Yeah, um, right. So they, they definitely kind of soften it up a lot. And it's, I guess, you know, it, we get most of what we need right away. He is a bounty hunter. He's kind of your, you know, rough rough, gruff anti-hero. Uh, he seems to have a heart of gold. Um, you know, he's real dedicated to getting this one guy for a few hundred dollars, uh, which I, he, I, I like his line uh, early on when he tells the, uh, uh, I think, it's the, I forget if it's the bartender, the barmaid, that he needs the money for his, his piano lessons. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, no, that's it, exactly. Uh, yeah, and, and you can still believe, too, that even with them changing the character later on in the Justice League, that, like, you can see that, that be, being the same person just with the um, extra experience as time goes on. And, and I mean, that's one of the things that always kind of made him weird with how he fits into the DC universe too. Cause like, I know they've done stories where like he spent a while in the Legion of superheroes future and stuff. And then now at this point in time, it's just that, you know, he's seen some stuff and he's just this hyper competent, um, you know, he's the Batman of his age and cause it's very little phases him now. Well, I think we've said uh, a lot about this episode. Is there anything else that we're missing that we we forgot to touch on? Um, I mean, I think that's the stuff that makes this episode stand stand out. I mean, the problem with the Batman the Animated Series is there's so much that just goes without saying as far as you know the music score and the art direction and all that goes. It's a typically gorgeous looking episode. Um, I mean, I imagine it was harder work for the animators this time because they had to design, you know, environments outside of what they usually have on the show, and they absolutely rise to that challenge. I, w- I wondered if they'd secretly like wanted to do like a western for like a, a really long time. I don't, do you remember? There's a pretty early on. There, I think in the first season, there's an episode uh, where it's it, not one of my favorite episodes. I think it's probably mm-hmm. in your kind of in your maybe in your third tier of uh, Batman the animated series episodes. There's an episode where there is a guy 
who is abducting people from the streets of Gotham yeah. to work in his mine. Uh, and Bruce Wayne goes undercover and gets abducted and uh, gets amnesia and ends up having to like kind of like lead a like a, a workers' rebellion in like a mine in the middle of nowhere. And there's like there's some kind of Western uh, motifs to that. Like it's yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that that episode is up there as as one that like you know I mean I guess it was interesting in that they tried to not just like dip into the the classic rogues gallery, but uh, they needed to dip a little deeper, I guess, because <laughs> right. that that episode doesn't work for me. Um, but, yeah, yeah, but I me, felt me like either. that had a lot of like. They wanted to do kind of a wet, some Western influenced ideas in that, um, uh, but it turns out you know what, just doing a straight up Western uh, works a lot better than trying to do something with little bits of Western in it. Maybe. Um, yep, as so. it turns out, and then, and then you make it a little bit more steampunk and have some fun with it too while you're at it. Yeah, that 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 is a winning recipe for me. Well, I think we can probably close the books on uh, on Showdown. Um, Definitely check this out if, you, if this sounds like an episode you want to watch and see and, and know everything that uh, Jeremy and I just talked about. Uh, Jeremy, I'll give you a chance. Uh, you had uh, quite a bit of trouble. You're a big fan of the Batman anime series, uh, picking just one episode <laughs> um, to, to, to cover. Uh, do you want to kind of list or plug uh, a couple other episodes people should check out? Some of these will probably be uh, future episodes that we'll cover. So listeners, uh, feel free to watch ahead and then come back when we have a conversation about it. But what else? What other? What were your some of your other top picks there that we haven't uh, talked about so far? Um, Mad Love, I don't think has been covered yet. But just the Harley Quinn origin episode, I think, is fantastic. Um, the Laughing Fish, which is you know, one of the few um, straight up adaptations of an existing comic book story i think they do a nice job on for a joker story um the um the the first clock king episode which might just be called the clock king i believe so. um yeah for you know one of the really you know kind of similar to mr freeze and taking a very obscure mm-hmm. character and completely reinventing him and that that first episode is just astonishingly well done um and then i think i threw out the um one with Farmer Brown, I forget the name of that one too, which is just maybe the strangest episode of the whole show where Batman gets to fight an American Gothic-themed farming villain with giant chickens and a rocket silo, and it's unlike anything else on this show. It's not necessarily a great episode, but it's worth seeking out just for the absurdity of it, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I, I like a lot of those. Uh, the Clock King episode, uh, I always really appreciate because of the idea that basically kind of a an efficiency expert becomes a, a villain. He's also a lawyer yeah. or he's involved in legal. I always worry. I you know yeah. I, I work with people where I give them a lot of advice and I'm always uh, the, part of the premise uh, for people who haven't seen the episode. Uh, the Clock King uh, is basically uh, he's this highly high strung individual and he's kind of given advice. Uh, by uh, the person who will be the mayor of Gotham to like take it easy like go for a walk mm-hmm. and I'm always very nervous to give other people that kind of advice because basically what happens is the clock king does that and his whole day goes wrong through this cascading series of events yep. that result in him losing his job and becoming a supervillain and it's like <laughs> gotta be real careful with advice people you you don't want to be part of an origin story <laughs> um, oh, so, and it's like the most sympathetic villain in the, like all of Batman history too mm-hmm. for that too like I, I I totally get his motivation. <laughs> it, you know, I think I think it, it resonates with a lot of office workers. Uh, I oh am, yeah, for I, sure. There is the challenge where uh, you know he 
uh, with his uh, kind of clock hand shaped cane by studying Batman's moves and knowing how fast Batman is becomes a competent fighter. Uh, that that's that one's that's a little tough to process. Um, it, it, yeah, it's pushing it a little bit too. But you know, on the other hand, his you know mastery of train schedules to commit crimes too. Sort of I thing. like that. That works for me. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, and apparently, you know, and and I even like that he knows which how uh, it's not just knowing the schedules, but knowing uh, which sk- trains stay on schedules and which trains are consistently late. So that's that's villainy I can appreciate. Um, yeah, definitely. Oh man, the amount of time he's probably spent staring at data models and spreadsheets is just I can't imagine. Uh, well, Jeremy, uh, if our listeners wanted to uh, find out more about your thoughts, uh, where could they find you on the internet? Yep. Um, the easiest place to reach me is probably on Twitter, where I'm um, at JM Gold. Um, also, find me on Facebook or um, come to some libraries in Massachusetts. Um, Good advice, always. Yep. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, being one of the first guests uh, on uh, the uh, Batman uh, TV Incomparable podcast, and thank you for uh, being my friend. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It's it's been a pleasure. On the next episode, Sam Einhorn and I discuss POV.